Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species is a radio program dedicated to raising awareness about issues concerning animals. It's broadcast from the 3CR studios in Melbourne, Australia, and streamed via live the 3CR website. Podcasts are available via the 3CR and Freedom of Species websites and via iTunes. Welcome to Freedom of Species. I'm Kate Gracie, and here in the studio with me today is Dr. Judy Inglis and Bryce Inglis, who are the founders of Rabbit Runaway Orphanage. That's a no-kill rabbit rescue and shelter in Melbourne's Dandenong Ranges. Welcome, Judy and Bryce. Thanks for coming in today. Thank you, Kate. And thank you, Kate. Now, my understanding of rabbits are they are a really neglected pet in terms of understanding what's needed for this particular creature. And I do want to hear about what needs to be considered for keeping a house rabbit. But first, I'd, I'd really like to ask you about some of the legal context. So... Yesterday, when I was just sort of preparing for the for this um, show, I learnt that rabbits aren't even covered by Australia's um, cruelty to animal laws, like the Pocter laws. Have I got that right? Yeah, look, Pocter is very, very vague on on uh, animal cruelty. So, Pocter being oh, prevention. prevention of cruelty to animals act. Sorry, yeah, right? yeah. It's very vague. And so they rely then on various notes called codes and things like that. When it comes to animal welfare with rabbits, there's very little coverage. Pet shops are covered and also uh, the farming of rabbits for meat's covered. Um, and they're covered as a pest animal under the Land Protection Act. Uh, when it comes down to how you keep them, how you have them in shelters and pounds... How you breed them in a backyard. Breed them. Yeah. Um, and all these other things that are to do with domestic rabbits, there is nothing. Right. So if I was to, if I was to find someone being outright barbaric to, a, to a, a rabbit, could they be prosecuted under... Cruelty laws? There are occasional prosecutions, but it's very, very difficult for people to actually prosecute because of the lack of law. Right. So there's no guidelines on what actually constitutes cruelty and very little knowledge about what constitutes cruelty. Right. And does this is this the same, regardless of whether it's a house rabbit or a wild rabbit, the laws are the same, or lack thereof, well, they're, all, they're, they're treated the same. The, the Catchment and Land Protection Act, for instance, only defines rabbits as rabbits. There's no differentiation between domestic rabbits and wild rabbits. Mm. And that act is about farming and the control of rabbits. Right. Which I guess is fair enough, because a rabbit is a rabbit is oh, a yeah. rabbit. Yeah, they are a declared pest. Yep. And to but, a lot of and, people. But again, that mind. is just a rabbit. A rabbit is a declared pest, even if it's a, a lop-eared, fluffy... It doesn't matter what type of rabbit it is. It's a pest. 
In fact, in okay. Queensland, you can't even keep them as pests and there's a $44,000 fine if you do so. As a pet. As, in, the as ho- a pet. in the whole state? In the whole state. So, the, so you can't sell them in pet shops either? No. Right, that's no. interesting. Having said that, they're the most illegally kept pet and one of the pet chains up there sells 60 tonnes of rabbit food per annum. So it's sort of... It's, is that something like that's going on and it's ignored by the authorities? So they, they must know it's going on, surely. Yeah, they, they get around it because they don't, there's a reluctance to send someone bankrupt for, for having a, a pet rabbit. So the, yeah. there's, I suppose if I use a pun, there's an underground movement to actually get them <laughs> out of the state. Right. Yeah, okay. So, so this, this, um, this lack of cruelty to rabbit laws extends to the welfare regs. So there's also a lack of welfare regulations, as I understand. Oh, there are no welfare regulations. Okay, so there are none. Yeah. So how does, how does Australia compare to other developed countries with regards to rabbit welfare regulations and, and et cetera? Well, very poorly because on, on the political scene, they're, they're, they're more regarded as a pest so that there is very little understanding of keeping them in as, as a domestic house rabbit, for instance. But when you go overseas to um, places where high-rise living is is the norm, um, they're the most popular pet kept. Right. They would outnumber dogs and cats. Like such where? As, well, Singapore, for instance, okay. Hong Kong, those yeah, sorts right. of places. Um, in England and America, they are the third most commonly kept pet. Right. And uh, in Australia, we don't have any numbers. Yeah, Right. Um, but it would—I mean—it makes sense that if you don't have to walk them, you don't have to take them for a walk. Well, this this is appealing to people that are in, say, the, the single nesters group, which is the fastest uh, demographically growing group there is, where we've seen a mushrooming of, of rabbits being kept because a pe- single nester is that like someone who doesn't—that's someone a who lives on their own in a small unit. Yeah, right. Okay. Right. Yep. And they're tending to get a rabbit as a preferred pet rather than than having a dog that they have to walk and having a cat that has to be kept inside all the right. time. Right. Because they're a pest species, they've been regarded as a pest species pretty much throughout all of our European history. Yeah. But that also applies to cats. That also applies to... So we have, we have yeah. wild cats, we have wild dogs. But they, they're given lots of welfare consideration. Why isn't then welfare consideration extended to rabbits well, when when you look at the the da- economic damage that wild rabbits do, it's coming from farmers, right? So that whilst mm. um, yeah, cats they, don't they have actually, an economic damage. Yeah, yeah. And, and whilst rabbits cause something like two hundred million dollars a year in damage, mm. um, they top uh, dogs and foxes and really? ding- wild wild animals like dingoes, right? But when you add canines together, they actually cause more damage than rabbits. But because there's a 60% ownership of, yeah. of dogs, mm. then they're not regarded. The, the, mm. There is a differentiation between a wild dog, or a mm. feral dog rather, and, and a rabbit. Um, some people just don't understand people who keep rabbits. Yeah. And that's based on, on, say, if we guess there would be 3% of people owning rabbits. We have a really bad track record of with rabbits. Is that due to our our history of rabbits, or is yeah. it due to that we've just got a bad track record of of any animal 
other than cats and dogs, well, perhaps. Yeah. Well, look, incidentally, before I, I answer that, I, I, we, we didn't mention cats. Cats sometimes don't even make these lists because they're not causing economic damage. They're just... Yeah, causing right? biodiversity damage. Yeah. Yeah. So um, with with rabbits, they're, they're... People tend to regard them with a fear like they had prior to 1950 before the introduction of myxomatosis. Right where they were really, really bad news. And they they made places into desert. Mm-hmm. Uh, since then, they, they've been... Um, well, as, as I mentioned before, the damage they do is less than, than canines. Right? But it is still significant damage that, that's economic. But people somehow, because there's only 3% of them owning rabbits, mm. don't really understand the difference between the wild ones and the domestic ones. Yeah, and there's a huge difference. Yeah. But surely when you talk about the, the damage that they did prior to the 1950s and the, how they, they turned vast tracts of land into desert, humans had already come and turned those tracts of land from, from bush into pasture. So, hmm. do you know... it. You can't really point the finger at the rabbit and say, you've caused this destruction. We set the, the scene. Well, we introduced by, them. We, not only did we introduce them, but we cleared the land yep. to, make, to make it, um, it... We made it into an appealing place for, for rabbits to live anyway. So we'd, we'd set the scene by clearing it into, into rabbit-friendly pasture. Yeah. Well, well for instance, the, when, when we introduced them here, and it was done uh, basically because some people from England wanted to go and hunt them and, and that sort of thing, there are no natural predators for them here. Mm. Whereas if, if you go back to the original place where the, the rabbits came from, which was the Iberian Peninsula in, in Spain, uh, they're now an endangered species. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. There you go. What goes around? It really does full circle, doesn't it? Yeah. Now, um, Bryce, I, I understand that you've made some really comprehensive recommendations to government on, on rabbit welfare issues, including things like restricted pet status and compulsory neutering and breeding limits. Can you expand on these issues and expand on those recommendations? Well, basically, I, I, I try and get it as, as an economic argument where, okay, so rabbits are, are, are a, um, they're a breed that can be dangerous to the economy or, or have impact on the economy. So that basically they should be treated as such. And, you know, you have restricted licences for birds and snakes and all that sort of thing. I think that should apply to, to rabbit ownership. And I feel that uh, one of the first things you need is compulsory desexing or a desexing certificate prepaid before you buy the rabbit mm-hmm. and, a fi- and a fine if you don't get it desexed, a big mm-hmm. one. Kate, um, a lot of people don't realise that a rabbit is an on-demand ovulator, which means that as soon as they're mated, they're pregnant. They can get pregnant the day they have their babies. Wow. And it's a four-week gestation. And oh, so this is when they're talking about breeding like rabbits. That's this is right. exactly what they mean. This is crazy, yeah. isn't and it? Because, because they're a prey species, uh, it's their way of continuing the species. the species. Yes, right. Except in Australia, there's nothing for them to prey on. To be preyed upon. Yeah, yeah. 
And unfortunately, a lot of rabbit owners don't understand that aspect. Mm. Um, they naively get the bunny, and before we know it, we've got a hoarding situation or we've mm. got breeding in backyards. They just don't know how to stop it. So the chances are if you buy a, if you buy a rabbit from a pet shop, if they're an on-demand ovulator, if you buy a rabbit from a pet shop and it's female, chances are it's pregnant. Well, if it's been, it'll, they, can, um, they can breed from three to five months. Right. Usually they're sold in pet shops very, very young, uh-huh. and the pet shops quite often don't know how to sex the rabbit properly. Right. So they can end up with a male and female thinking that uh-huh. they've got two females because when you think who's selling the animals in the pet shops, quite often they're young people in there. Yeah. yeah they're yeah. not experienced in the species or the breeds. Yeah. They don't know what they've got. They don't have the knowledge yeah. to explain to the new rabbit owner yeah. the type of animal it is. Yeah. So quite often that person, the buyer, ends up with an animal that they think is an easy animal to care for. They end up with a completely different animal yeah. in three months' time, yeah. possibly with lots of babies, and that's when they get dumped. Yeah, yeah. We had a situation a couple of years ago where somebody started off... Um, with seven rabbits and then there were 50 rabbits and then they'd eaten all the grass in the backyard so they started to escape into the streets and it took us something like um, six months to get fully control of that that situation and, and to catch them all. But if you've got 50 rabbits too, I mean, who can afford to get 50 rabbits neutered? Because that's... You can't. It's insane. Because how much is it to... to to one rabbit? It's, uh, well, when, when the animals come into our rescue, we do sex vaccinate and microchip them, and it costs us a round figure of about $300 to do that. Per rabbit? Wow, yeah. that's a lot. And that's just for the basic um, yeah. vet care for them. So if you've got multiple rabbits, so you could quickly you could quickly tally up a 1000 bucks. Well, we've, we have heard from people when they surrender the animals that when they're at point of sale... They're told, oh, it's an easy pet, oh, it's great for the kids, and yeah. it's just the complete opposite. Yeah. But we can talk about that later. Yeah, yeah. But when it comes to animal law, this is where we need intervention yeah, from absolutely. government yeah. to put some guidelines in place absolutely. and make people be responsible, the, the point of sale um, shop owners and breeders. Right. So this is why it's important that they, they buy them either with a desexing certificate yeah. if they're young or desexed if they're older. Right. And what were some? You got some more recommendations too that you'd, you'd submitted to government. Uh, yeah, basically, I'm I'm very strong on sentience mm-hmm. of animals. Um, there there is a review of, of um, animal law at the moment going on, and this has resulted uh, uh, in things for cracking down on puppy farms mm-hmm. and other and pet shops. Mm-hmm. But it's all related to dogs and cats. Yeah. And yeah. They, they've, the rabbits are forgotten pet, basically. Yeah, yeah. Now, you also talk about this restricted pet status. What, what's involved with being a, a restricted pet? And I do that in inverted commas. What's, what is a, what's, what's involved right, with then. a restricted pet? You need to be licensed to be a breeder. Right. There are so many instances of overbreeding mm-hmm. Um, if we take, say, something that, that seems innocent like a pet farm, right, we know of one pet farm that breeds 700 rabbits a year. They um, take them around the schools or whatever. You can actually have a, a mother rabbit with day-old kittens mm-hmm. arrive at your school. 
the teacher's given instructions to remove any dead rabbits before the classes start. Mm. After a period of, of what their contract is, which is something like 10 or 12 weeks, something like that, and this is um, uh, to show people the, the miracle of birth. Well, I think you're cheaper off to just get a video. And mm, basically mm. what happens to the rabbits is that they use high-pressure sales tactics to the primary school kids. As, oh, oh, dear, what will happen to this rabbit? We're going to have to kill it if you don't buy it for five bucks. So mm, the they kids... Guilt, they guilt them into it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the kids take them home and they will um, present mum and dad with a pet that nobody's talked about. Mm. So mm. that's that's just one example of, of the sorts of things that happen. It sounds we, like the chicken hatching programs. That's a, sort of a, an equivalent of the, the chicken hatching. Very where, similar. Where they yeah. get ki- kids turn up with, with chickens with, that were they, under under guilt that yeah. they're going to be killed if they don't take them home and look yeah. after them. So that's that's just one. one. I mean, we, we know of a, a, a school, a primary school, where they've got a rabbit breeding program. A school with a rabbit breeding program? Yeah. Yeah. For what? What's the rationale for that? I have no idea. It doesn't make any sense. Doesn't at make all to any me. sense whatsoever. Yeah. You're talking about a country who demonises rabbits for yeah. as a pest species, but, and then their schools breeding them. Yeah. yeah but we everyone's often, breeding them. That's insane. We often hear of, of clusters of schools where the you you get these these kids who are breeding rabbits for pocket money, mm-hmm. and they all think it's a cool way of actually. Uh, making a, a few bucks here and there, yeah. but the consequences of, of that are far-reaching. And basically, if they get ten bucks, or if a if a pet shop gets sixty-five bucks, or whatever, the cost of clear uh, of actually desexing, microchipping, vaccinating it's on huge. a shelter, yeah. and plus yeah. catching them, um, it just doesn't make economic sense. No, right. So, is so your recommendations would also have some sort of breeding limitations for breeders? I think if you want to breed any animal, you need to be registered as a business. Mm. Right. Yeah, and then that's fair. You can then have controls put in mm. on ages of breeding, mm. how often you can breed, and that sort of thing. And then you could have inspectors coming around and making sure that you. Oh yeah, there's some welfare. Yeah, yeah. and being met. Yeah, and if if you are just allowing an animal to breed willy nilly, yeah, because we we often reach round about October is a very bad time of year for us because we rabbits tend to breed more at the start of of, of a breed of, of a food cycle, and basically you can have a mother rabbit breed three times in a row over three months, and she dies on top of her kittens. And then we get what? to hand rear them. What does she die? They they just the mother's worn out. Imagine from if we pregnancy. were just yes, yeah, right. Every month, litters of anything from four to twelve babies. <laughs> yeah, wow. You know, by the third time, by I the had third one, month, and it was exhausting. And we yes, <laughs> and we have a lot of the babies will come to us, and we try and pull them through, but it's very difficult yeah. without um, the nutrients from the mother's milk. Right. Yep. We know we're going to lose half of them when we when we hand rear them. Oh, devastating! Yeah. So all these these recommendations that you've that you've made, and I did I read through your the document that your submission, which was a comprehensive document. I read through that yesterday, and they all seem so 
sensible and practical and doable and for the benefit of everyone involved. So why haven't they why haven't any of them been enacted like when it when it for a country that wants to wants to um, mitigate the issues of, of rabbits on the environment, why aren't they enacting these recommendations? It's crazy that they're not. Well, politics only think in terms of economics. But this is, right? like you're saying, this isn't... that The economic damage done by rabbits is clear, so why aren't they enacting on them to prevent that economic damage? I don't know, because I, I send all this stuff into them and I think they just use it as toilet paper. Yeah, yep. Yeah, and, and so that basically... Um, you know, I, I had a talk with James Molino and, and he, is? he's, uh, I think, set to IC in the, the Andrews government now, I think. But okay. he's also our, was our local member. Right. And he, um, you know, he asked me if he'd vote for him. And I said, well, what are you doing about animals? And I kept repeating that. <laughs> and he had no answer but to run away. Yeah. And he thinks I'm a nutcase. Yeah. Kate, I think when it comes to the rabbit situation, as you said, they're considered a feral pest in Australia. Mm. What we can't understand is why there's no laws in place for breeding them and selling in uh, selling pet shops mm. if they're considered mm. a feral pest. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a dilemma that we've got. If they were categorised as a restricted pet, people had to have um, show that they understood them as an animal mm-hmm. and could care for them and look mm-hmm. after them and there wasn't going to be this indiscriminate breeding, mm. which is just, it's out of control in backyards everywhere. Yep. And it's only because people, when they buy the animal, they see the cute and fluffy, mm. they don't understand the animal as a pet, they don't know how to care for it, they're not given the information at point yeah. of sale. And quite often, probably 80% of our surrenders come from people that buy them for the kids. Yeah, yeah. And that just starts this cycle um, of into into the home. They're not the animal they think they are. Mm. They don't want, don't like the kids. I run away from the kids because they're a prey animal. They become mm. scared. Mm. The solution for those families are to dump them or put them into the vet to be killed or put them in the environment or let them mm. go. Mm. Those bunnies, if they survive, will breed and breed. Mm. And then we have well-meaning neighbours ringing us with rabbits in their properties. We're the only ones that will go out and try and catch them or get our volunteers to go out and see if they can catch them. Council won't do it? No, council won't do them. RSPCA won't do it? No. Well, no one will go out. See, council work under a set of instructions called the Domestic Animal Management Plan. Right. Right, from the government. It only covers dogs and cats. Yeah, right. Right. So that typically, um, I I remember ringing up a council and they had um, some kids had had found some rabbits. So they just put them in a a plastic bucket, uh, being kids, not knowing. Mm. And I rang up, uh, I think it was Frankston Council, and said, you know, can you send someone around to just talk to these kids? And they said, no, we don't do that. Mm. Right. So you get this attitude yeah. all the time because yeah. they're not covered by this act. Yeah. So the, Then the, you ring up the RSPCA and they say, no, ring up the council. So you go around in circles. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's useless, isn't it? Yeah. And at the end of the day, if they're lucky, they end up in rescue. But depending on how many have come into rescue, all rescues operate on permit numbers. 
So if they have a, an influx of animals come in, and we do know one, ra- one rescue that will have 40 rabbits dumped at a time in the night boxes, there's no way they can process oh them my through. God, yeah, they'd be overwhelming. And it's just people breeding, breeding, then when they're out of control, they dump them. Yeah, and they're no longer cute and yeah. fluffy. I, see, I guess being, being a rabbit, being cute and fluffy, it's sort of it's, um, your own worst enemy because it's, it's being cute and fluffy which has created this problem, hasn't it? It is. Because people yeah. are just breeding them and breeding them and breeding them because there's nothing cuter than a baby rabbit. Yeah. And also that point of sale where the information is not given to the yeah. new owner. Yeah. It's not the people's fault that buy them. If they were educated to the type of pet they were getting – and their lifestyle and whether mm. that animal will fit in with their lifestyle, mm. they'll probably go with a different type of pet. Mm. But they're, they're led to believe that they're cute, fluffy, they'll be great for the kids, yeah. they're like a soft toy. Yeah, and they're yeah, not. Exactly. They're completely the opposite. the opposite. They're really high maintenance. Once they reach three, three months, three to six months, they develop uh, personalities, temperaments of their own. Mm. They're a prey animal, so they're very fearful. Mm. And the relationship with them is built on trust. And a young child is not able to provide yeah, that not environment. Yeah. I've also learned that that while myxomatosis isn't any longer it's not <clears throat> excuse me actively used as a biocontrol measure by by the government it is illegal to vaccinate house rabbits against this disease. Yeah, myxomatosis was discontinued in 2009 and the reason why is after 70 years of use there, there was a natural immunity building up amongst oh, right. the wild population so it wasn't doing much good. Right. However, it's still that means there, there's a lot of rabbits out there who still have myxomatosis, but it's not affecting them, so it can be endemic into the popula- the wild populations. With domestic rabbits, there is no immunity at all. Right. Right. So, and if they were to reintroduce myxomatosis nowadays, it wouldn't pass the um, the humane tests mm, because it takes fourteen days to kill a rabbit, and it's a horrible, horrible. It's way a to horrible die. death. Yeah. And and basically, the 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 rabbit can finish up blind. Mm where it can't see to eat, it can finish up with secondary diseases like pneumonia and die from that painfully. And uh, so they discontinued it, but it's still endemic in the the system. And we had an outbreak probably about a year ago when we had that that huge mosquito plague that we had. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were were rabbits going down with myxomatosis. Yeah. Everywhere, but it's not as bad a problem now as their new biocontrol, which um, has been a, to, it, to my mind, it's a complete stuff up. And um, Bryce, just before you talk about the yeah. new one, just with myxomatosis, we don't have a vaccine in Australia for it at all. Oh, okay. Yeah. We have the vaccine overseas, but not in Australia, and they won't allow it into the country because it's a live vaccine, and that's why we have trouble getting it in. But why? Why they got? An, we've got other live vaccines in Australia. Why have they got an issue with that live vaccine? Oh, it's just just they 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 think that why would you want a rabbit vaccinated? It's crazy. This is how the the politicians think. So, which countries are using live vaccines? The UK, right? Uh, okay. Some of the um, some of the European countries. Right. Myxomatosis isn't a problem in um, the US because uh, it, it just makes their, their wild rabbits, the jackrabbit, a little bit sick. 
so it, it's never been used as a biocontrol there. Right. But but with the European rabbit, a lot of the European countries, you can get forms of um, uh, vaccine. Okay. Now tell me about Khaleesi virus because that's the like that's the new that's the new yep. biocontrol being. Yep. It being um, spread by the government, isn't it? Yeah. Is it, that an improvement on, on, on myxomatosis? Well, it's a quicker death. Uh, by the time you notice symptoms in a domestic rabbit, it's probably an hour or two away from death anyway. Oh, wow, that is right. fast. Okay, yeah. Yep. Um, however, there is a vaccine for it uh, because it was originally... Here in, in Australia? Yep. It was originally released or accidentally escaped... Uh, from a, an island offshore mm-hmm. in West, in South Australia. Yeah. It got to the mainland and started spreading very quickly by blowflies. Um, again, since then, the, vac- the, the immunity rates have started going up. So they sourced a, a, another form of Khaleesi, which came from a different country, so it had developed slightly differently. Okay. And so that uh, since then we've had to go from a, a, an annual vaccination to, to once every six months. Mm-hmm. However, there is a third strain that's not supposed to be here and nobody's claiming responsibility for it getting here, which is a, um, a European strain and there is no vaccine at all for that right. that works. Right. The government is in the research stages, or the people that develop the vaccines is in the research stages of developing a vaccine for it because it's killing our pet rabbits rapidly and it's quite different um, symptoms and signs to the, older vac- to the other vaccines that we can vaccinate against. Right. And we can have a pair of rabbits. One can be taken with this and the other one can survive. Well, wow, that's interesting. Yeah. So... So they're happy if they get these vaccines up for Khaleesi virus. The government's happy for pet rabbits to be vaccinated against. Yeah, the, the Khaleesi vax, um, vaccination yep. that they're in the research stages for type two. Okay. So they are okay to vaccinate against Khaleesi. Okay. But they won't let the myxomatosis vaccine into the country. You're right. But I don't know how long it will be before we'll see a vaccine for this type two, and it's um, it's very random. And we've right. had a lot of bunnies in our foster programs, indoor-only rabbits that have been have got this. Right, and so they haven't worked out exactly how it's being transmitted. Well, Khaleesi, Khaleesi is very, very difficult to deal with because it can come in on anything. Right, right? OK. And it's very long-lived without a host. It, for instance, picture that you can go out in a barbecue... Um, or or a picnic, and you sit down on some grass. A fly has deposited a fly speck on that piece of grass you're sitting on, and basically um, you come home, and, and and that can stay viable for up to 120 days. Wow! Without a without a host, so you sit down on that piece of, of grass, come home, brush your pants down, and touch your rabbit. It's dead. Right. Okay. It can come in on on lettuces. It can come in on yeah. basic foods. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so so it's it's much more fearsome than, than myxomatosis, right. which was only spread by by basically mos- mosquitoes. Yeah, you knew where when and where it's coming from. Yeah. With Khaleesi virus, it's so unpredictable. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, tell me, what role has the RSPCA played in 
lobbying on behalf of house rabbits. Ross, well, do, you, do you know much about that? <laughs> well, basically, we're their consultants. Oh, really? To, to, to a certain two of you. degree. You two. Yeah, I mean, when when they when they built their um, their new building and decided to outfit it, they sent three of their managers up to us to to see how to um, build their cages yeah, right. and things like that. So, um, are they doing good stuff for house rabbits? They are. Yeah, they, they are because they do get a lot of they get a lot of criticism on a lot of different levels for a lot of different things. And I mean, are they are they doing good work for the house they rabbits? Are. They are. They yeah. are. Look. Things have changed over the years. It's been 15 years now since we've been working with rabbits and we have seen a slow progression with other mainstream rescues um, moving forward. It's always the people at the coalface that are at their wits' end as to what to do Mm. because quite often the larger rescues, they're controlled by management Mm. and it's slow to filter down Mm. to the coalface. But nowadays, I think the coalface is also pushing upwards as well and um, asking for change. We've seen with a lot of the mainstream rescues now, they will reach out to foster programs, develop foster programs, so that the the animals that were at most risk of euthanasia can then be placed off and have time to recover. And have get a second chance. Yes, that's right. And the RSPCA, we work collaboratively with them, we don't lead them as such, but we work collaborative with them and we discuss the rabbit side of it because we've been entrenched um, and quite um, sort of educated with rabbits because of our experience with it. So you're finding that a con- constructive relationship definitely, with RSPCA? Yeah, definitely. For the benefit of the rabbits? Yes, yeah, good. definitely. At the end of the that's day, good. it's about the animals. It's yeah, not about the people, it's about the animals. Have RSPCA been able to put more pressure on the government? Like you're saying, it doesn't sound like you've been having a lot of success with your submissions. With RSPCA, their position with the government, are they able to apply more pressure to get this kind of stuff through? They're more likely to be listened to than us. Yeah. But but the problem is with the RSPCA is when it comes to their inspectorate, which is you've got a situation where the government has a private contractor to um, actually look at animal law and mm. do prosecutions and all that sort of thing. But they're completely and totally underfunded to do this. Mm. And when I did a submission to a, a, a Western Australian um, inquiry into the RSPCA yeah. operations, what I found out was that I, I did a bit of research and came up with a table. Now, on the table... We've got the population, we've got the number of prosecutions and the government funding per head of population annually. Mm. So that what I see from this is that in Queensland, which is the worst, people pay five cents per head per annum to run animal law. Right. Per annum. Yeah. Right. That results in... A prosecution of one in 225,000 people. So then how much? One in... 225,000 Yeah, okay. One people. in 225,000. So now, one, in, one in a quarter of a million. Yep. Yep. Now, when you go to Tasmania, yep. the government's fully funding prosecutions. Yep. Right, at thirteen per head of population. Huge difference. And they are getting prosecutions of one in 17,000. Oh, wow. Right. So that that shows you that 
You you can't expect the RSPCA to do animal prosecutions and nobble them with money. Mm. The RSPCA basically is very picky at what it does because it can't afford to lose a case. And in in Victoria, we're paying 18 cents per person per annum. And that results in a prosecution rate of 1 in 80,000. Right, so we we can make huge improvements. You get get what you pay for. Yeah. So it's not the RSPCA's, you know, they're hamstrung when it comes to what they can actually do with the funding they're given. And if they were properly funded, they'd be able to move things a lot further forward. um, I mean, they do cop a lot of criticism, though, failing to maybe speak up sufficiently to government to bat on behalf of the animals. They seem to be, in a lot of cases, rather subservient Mm. to the government. Well, you know, well, when we go to, say, de-sexing for dogs and cats they found it was going to be useless to talk to the feds because the, mm. all they're interested in is economic laws mm. such as factory farming, mm. live export, whatever, things that make money. Mm. And the laws are industry-written mm. so that they're, they're about economics and not about welfare. When you have a... Um, uh, when when you have a situation where, you know, they, they just don't have enough money. Mm. It comes down to economics in every case. So they know where they're going to go. And they when they wanted to de-sex dogs and cats, they realised they wouldn't get it through federal, they wouldn't get it through state, so they went to local council, right? And... Uh, so they they know what can happen and what can't happen. They've had a hundred years to actually, of dealing with governments to know what they can get get away with and what they can't. So this could be interpreted as apathy, but it's not. Mm. It's just they're just as helpless as anyone else. Mm. Now your lobbying for rabbits includes an adopt don't shop campaign, and that those campaigns seem to be starting to work for cats and dogs. Do you think? There's good prospects for that adopt-don't-shop campaign working for rabbits? There is, but there's also problems. Um, We've had a lot of pet shops approach us and want our rabbits to go in there under an adoption, but they want to control the adoption process, and we're not happy with that because it will just turn into a sale of the animal. They're turning it into a business model. Yes, that's right. So until they can can consider a welfare model for those... um, sale those outlet sales we can't get involved in that good Great. and we have a lot of rescues that are, you know they'll approach a number of rescues and we're all in the same boat we've talked through it with them and explained to them why we need to be in control of the adoption side of it but they won't they want to control that aspect of it mm, that's a shame but it's really good that you're standing fast yeah. on we that. did have we did have one um um trial adoption centre at Pet Barn in Plenty Valley a couple of years ago and one of the ladies that worked there was also a volunteer with us and she kept a very, very close eye on what was going on and mm-hmm. literally controlled that end for us. Yeah, good. But when management changed, uh, we were then sort of... We could understand that things had shifted and we stopped that arrangement with them right? and took the rabbits out of there. That's really good. Yeah. I think the bottom line is is that salesmen think like salesmen and yeah. welfare people think like welfare <laughs> yeah. people. And never the twain shall meet. Yeah. yeah. Now, Judy, tell me about your 
rabbit runaway orphanage? What's it, what's its mandate? Okay, so to understand the mandate, I think we need to go back to the very beginning. And it's we're going back to 2003. I remember this day very clearly, sitting out on the back porch in the morning, having a cup of tea and going through some notes for my PhD, which I just started. And there was a little rabbit hopping through our backyard. A week later, another one hopped through. So we did the rounds of the neighbours. No one seemed to own them. Then within a month of that day, two more rabbits came to our back fence, came into the property, and then we found another little one in the in the um, court. So that was five within like three months. Two we took to one of the rescues. They were killed because they had health issues. That day I left there, I cried all day. I could not understand why there was not a will to have those um, medical treatments for the rabbits treated and then rehome them. Mm. So I think from that day forward, something was set in our mind, or in my mind particularly, Andy with the Bryce, that something had to be done. Mm. And where there's a will to do something, if you keep your focus on there, it can be achieved. So the mandate for us, getting back to today, is that we wanted to try and stop the unnecessary killing of the rabbits in rescue um, if it came down to their health issues. We've managed to do that through a very extensive foster program that we run. We have more than 200 rabbits now in that foster program and the bunnies that come into that program are ones that come into us with health issues but treatable health issues. If they're not treatable, our vet will, will sort of explain that to us and we gently put them to sleep. But if they're treatable conditions and that animal can go on to live a long and healthy life, we put them through and we support their vet care. Not just that one-off, but for life. Right. Wow. They're placed into foster homes for life. That's a huge commitment. It is. And what that means for us is that we constantly have to fundraise to meet our vet care bills. And at the moment, our vet care is something like 100000 a year. 100000 a year? Yes, just to, to support those bunnies in the program. What we're seeing now is the mainstream rescues that would euthanise those animals and now sending them through to us, and we then support them through our foster program. We do have a lot of people out there that support us, and they, they can see both as foster carers, as volunteers, and as donors towards the program. So you also have special needs rabbits yes. as well. What's, what's involved with those the rabbits? The special needs rabbits are these ones. So they may come in um, and develop either a head tilt or weakness in the, somewhere in the body. Um, they have, may have dental issues through you know, breeding and that sort of thing. And they're all what we call our special needs rabbits or our very important bunnies. And they're the ones that are in the foster program. Okay. So is it is the foster program purely special needs or is it Yes, it's all those ones that may need ongoing health health support. And that you wouldn't you wouldn't put you wouldn't put them up for adoption. They always stay no, fostered. No, they, they they go into a permanent home, but instead of the 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 new owner taking over the vet care, we support the vet care. So it becomes like a, it's a permanent home. The say if you came to me Kate and you're interested in fostering, that bunny would be your bunny. Yep. You'd do the day-to-day -day love and care. Yep. If it needed vet care, we'd support that. If it needed, while you're on holidays, it can come back and stay with us free of charge. And we help wow. you with, with all the support for that That's bunny. That's an amazing... That's an, a massive financial commitment from, you, from your side as well. It is. But, look, we, can't, we don't feel that we can adopt out an animal that's got a health mm. issue. 
and the other option is euthanasia for them. Mm. And they go on to live long and healthy lives, many of them 10 to 12 years. Yeah. We've, we've probably got the oldest bunnies in Australia through the <laughs> orphanage. Wow. So how do, you, how do you stay on top of this $100,000 a year? We take one expense. day at a time. Wow. And our vets are very supportive and they'll let us hold bills until we can pay them off. So we yeah. pay them off regularly. Yeah. Uh, we have some excellent vets that we work with that are rabbit um, savvy vets that support rescue. And Is we, that important that, definitely. that you find a vet who is who understands rabbits? It's not just any old vet. No, because rabbits, it has to be a, a specialised vet or a, rabbit that, a vet that understands rabbits. Is that is that? Specialised training? Yes. They come under the exotic species when it comes to the veterinary studies. Okay. And a vet that does um, extra work with rabbits or an exotic vet training are the ones that learn about them. The Most of the courses for animal uh, for veterinary studies is cats and dogs and mainstream animals. Right. Yep. But the exotics are the birds and the reptiles and the rabbits and the guinea pigs and yeah. the mice and the rats and yeah. all those other creatures that come outside. And that's why we think there should be there should also be classes in exotic when it comes yeah. to point of sale as well. Yeah, for, for for when it comes to veterinary yeah. care. Yeah. yeah, that's a really good point. Now I, I just learnt too last night that rabbits are is it a lagomorph? Yes, a lagomorph right. is not a rodent. No, I'd always, and I feel incredibly ignorant, is that I thought a rabbit was a rodent, and it's not. No, there's there's a difference between them, and it's I think it's to do with their teeth or something, okay. and I'm not quite sure what the difference is. But but guinea pigs, and I think guinea pigs, are, no, they're cavies, aren't they? Yeah, cavies. Yeah, yeah. they're different species. But rodents, rodents are your rats and mice and things. Right. Yeah. Okay. But one one of the one of the reasons we are able to operate is that we are one hundred percent volunteer. I mean, mm. nobody in the whole organisation, including Judy and I, receive payment. How many volunteers are there? We have a moving population of volunteers, sadly, because people will come for a time. It's very full on. Mm. Um, they'll stay for a while and then they'll move on as their lives move on. Yep. Um, no one could really do what we do full-time yeah uh, I often think what will happen when we're ready to retire who will step into our shoes yeah and I don't see many people putting up their hands yeah. to do so yeah it's 24 7 yeah you can't blame them can you because it is such a full-on role yeah. that you you guys have undertaken and look if it was something that we had a thought about and planned we wouldn't have done it <laughs> but we we evolved I'm glad into you didn't think about it it was really good that you the animals found us literally yeah, yeah. So, sometimes people will ask me how did I get into it and I, I, I just say looking back it must have been madness <laughs> <laughs> A moment of madness. Yeah. Now, tell me about the emotional toll of, of running the orphanage. It's really hard, Kate, at times. There's a joy of linking with these little creatures because they're a prey animal. The relationship with them is built on trust and earning that trust from a little prey animal is very rewarding. The other side of it is when we lose them, when we're supporting them through illness, when we're up all night with them, you know, working through their illnesses and stuff, um, looking after them day in, day out. It is emotionally draining and it's physically draining. Um, there are a lot of... There's a lot of stress involved in it, making um, decisions regarding their care and their health mm. and their well-being and all the rest of it, worrying about the money, the volunteers to help us care for them, um, all the aspects of running mm. a business, um, 
relate to running a, an organisation like our charity as well. We've got to be marketing managers. We've got to be fundraisers. Mm. We've got to be um, veterinary care. Mm. We've got to do the day-to-day care. We've got to love and look after those animals. They're all pretty special to us. And, and when we, you lose one, it must be devastating. It is devastating, yeah. and particularly when they're with us for 10 years like many of them are. Yeah, yeah, I, I bet. Now, um, you're obviously seeking people to foster and to adopt house rabbits. So what are the first primary considerations that need to be taken before a decision's made? Well, the first thing that people need to consider is whether to come out and see us and we talk them through the animal type of animal they are, the type of lifestyle they've got, whether they've got other animals in the home mm. will also um, you know, influence mm. whether it's the right time for them to have a rabbit joining their family or not because you've got a little prey animal and if you've got predator animals, there's a great risk mm. that that could be um, a concern. Also with young children, children under eight are not great with rabbits. They can frighten them. Uh, it puts a lot of pressure on the parents to try and control the child and the rabbit. Mm. We've had instances where the children have run out, left a door open, the bunny's gone mm. and it's been attacked by the dog or mm. whatever. You know, So it's it's probably the type of animal that suits um you know young working people they mm-hmm. they rest a lot during the day they're more active morning and evening mm-hmm. they're a little companion animal so they're best to have a friend a desexed partner yep. with them to keep each other company groom each other look after each other yep. during the day because it, it seems to be the common perception um that for parents to get their young child like a, a sort of a toddler preschool age mm. a bunny and you stick them in a hutch and you put them on the back lawn and you put some pellets and water out there and that's it. Yeah, well, we, we had um, one, one instance where um, the, 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 somebody bought a rabbit for their three-year-old and within two weeks it was taken to the vet to be killed. And by the family? By the family. Why? Because they're over it? Well, yeah. Basically, Not interested. there was another case I know of where um, a lady was trying to drown her rabbits in, the, was it the Maribyrnong River? Yeah. And basically she was being assisted by her primary school children. Ugh. Right. So, you know, we, we get these situations quite often and uh, this, this leads to mental health issues amongst animal workers and uh, there are no figures in Australia and very I don't know of any research that's been done in Australia but most of it's coming from the US and it's indicating that um, animal welfare workers and this includes vets and things like that um, if you work with animals you have a suicide rate that's five times the national average you have divorces you have uh, a form of um, mental illness which is like post-traumatic stress except it's ongoing where you're dealing with these situations constantly. You are doing it because there is an empathy towards the animals and this makes you more vulnerable to uh, what we would consider as wrongdoing by others, mm. by, by humans. And... Um, there's also, with kill shelters, there's, there's another mental illness that's called the killing-caring paradox, 
where you, you're doing it because you care for animals, but you're having to put them down. Mm. So this, this can cause quite a lot of stress. Mm. Yeah, right. Now, when you're talking about um, the, the animals being euthanised because they're no longer wanted, euthanised either um, by a vet or, or in a river, that's one end of the problem. But what about the issues of just rabbits going into a household and without any deliberate cruelty are just neglected because people don't understand the kind of the kind of um, either the socialisation or the actual physical needs of a rabbit. Kate, it comes down to once again the point of sale and the information that that new pet owner has about the type of animal that they're adopting or that they're buying. Adopting, of course, they get the information if they go to rescue because we certainly don't want any of our animals ending up where they've come from. The the idea that you can get a rabbit and just put it in a hutch is like locking your dog or your child in the toilet and making them live there. It's mm. just cruel. Yeah. The animal um, needs to be able to run, jump, do happy hops in the air. It needs to interact with the family and bond with you, just like an indoor cat or dog would. Yeah, they're highly social animals. They're highly social, highly intelligent and very mm. empathetic creatures. Yeah, yeah. We have some very old buns at home at the moment and you see their partners grooming the more frail one, um, sidling up beside them mm. to support them. Yeah. They are very intelligent. They're a very subtle communicator. Yeah. A young child is not going to understand that communication mm. that's coming from a rabbit. A young child needs more an animal like a cat or dog that's in your face, yeah. Yeah. You know, that will react to them. Mm, a rabbit's are too nuanced. Yes. Yeah. Now, I know that when you really get to befriend a pig or a sheep, for example, from a from a from a genuine position of trust, it it really gives you a totally different perspective on that species and that individual animal. And so I imagine that it's like that with having a rabbit as part of your household. It is. It is. And you need the owners of rabbits need to be able to um, be able to have that communication with the animal. People talk about animal communication. There's nothing really odd about that. It's just really understanding your pet mm. and what they what their behaviours are and, and taking, what they want. Taking time to understand yes, your pet, giving that's it right. giving it time. Yeah. We had I have to just uh, very quickly, we had a bunny called Marley that was with us for ten years. If I had a really sick baby, she would come up and she would be my shadow. She would sit at my feet. If that baby died she'd lick them and then she'd lick me. Very empathetic little creatures, yeah, yeah, and just they just know, yeah. But people don't see that because they lock them out somewhere and forget about yeah. them. Yeah, well, it's the same, like you know, with sheep and pigs and cattle and any animal that if you don't, if 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 you you don't have that a, a relationship a of trust, yeah. then you'll never get to see it's the the, the true nature, nature of yes, that animal exactly. Um, now if not got much time left but can you just quickly tell us about your fundraising event that you've got coming up yes on the 4th of august we have a trivia night at the collingwood town hall and we always theme our trivia night and it's in a winter wonderland uh, rabbit runaway orphanage in a winter wonderland and it's to raise funds for all of our special needs rabbits we have live and silent auctions it's always a fun night Uh, we have raffles uh, we always theme and do up the hall so it looks like a winter wonderland this time round, and that's uh, specifically to help with our vet care bills. There are some tickets still available, and people can book from the website if they would like to. So what's your website? It's rabbitrunaway.org.au. 
Dot au. Easy. Rabbitrunaway.org.au. And so there's tickets available. And that's, did you say the 4th of August? The 4th of August, Saturday, the 4th of August, mm-hmm. 6.30 it starts. Great. Till 11.30. And where do we, you've got to you'd have, be on social media for sure, wouldn't you? Yes, we do. Um, you can link to social media, both Facebook and, and our Twitter through the website. Okay. Yeah. Easy. Um, all right. Look, it's been fantastic talking to you both to get some insight into the rabbit which is such a misunderstood animal in Australia, um, deserving of so much more, so much more respect, like all our animals are, deserving of so much more respect than the Australian culture generally gives them. Um, I, hope the, I hope you raise the funds that you need to at your, at your um, event. It's going to be just an ongoing yeah, challenge every, for us, Kate. I bet, yeah, I to bet. To keep going. You're doing great work. And if people can't come, they can always donate through the website. Thank you so much, Bryce, and thank you, Judy, for coming on the show. Um, if you want to contact Freedom of Species, you can contact us at info at org, and we're also on Facebook and we're on Twitter. So we're going to leave you with this song. There'll be no surprises what our final song's going to be. It's Bright Eyes by Art Garfunkel, which is a Brom Watership Down. Yeah, and right. it's about myxomatosis. So stay tuned for Encyclopedia coming up at 2 o'clock, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.